0: message this afternoon is based on the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Belgic Confession, Articles 8 and 9. B.C. on the screen doesn't refer to the province to the west of us, but to the Belgic Confession. You can find that in the Book of Praise on page 501. If you're listening on live stream and don't have a Book of Praise Readily available. You can also find it online if you just enter the Belgic Confession. And we'll read together Articles 8 and 9. The title of 8 is God is one in essence yet distinguished in three persons. According to this truth and this word of God, we believe in one only God who is one single essence in which are three persons really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. The Son is the Word, the wisdom, and the image of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Nevertheless, God is not by this distinction divided into three, since the Holy Scriptures teach us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each has his personal existence, distinguished by their properties, but in such a way that these three persons are but one only God. It is therefore evident that the Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Father, And likewise, the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. Nevertheless, these persons thus distinguished are not divided nor intermixed. For the Father has not assumed our flesh and blood, neither has the Holy Spirit, but the Son only. The Father has never been without his Son or without his Holy Spirit. For these, three in one, the same essence, are equal in eternity. There is neither first nor last, for they are all three one, in truth, in power, in goodness, and in mercy. The scripture proof of this doctrine, all this we know from the testimonies of Holy Scripture and from the respective works of the three persons and especially those we perceive in ourselves. The testimonies of Scripture which lead us to believe this Holy Trinity are written in many places of the Old Testament. It is not necessary to mention them all. It is sufficient to select some with discretion in the book of Genesis God says let us make man in our image after our likeness so God created man in his own image male and female he created them Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27 also in Genesis 3 verse 22 the man has become like one of us from God saying let us make man in our image it appears that there are more divine persons than one And when he says, God created, he indicates that there is one God. It is true, he does not say how many persons there are, but what seems to be somewhat obscure in the Old Testament is very plain in the New Testament. For when our Lord was baptized in the River Jordan, the voice of the Father was heard, who said, in Matthew 3, verse 17, This is my beloved Son. The Son was seen in the water, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove. For the baptism of all believers Christ commanded, baptize all nations into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verse 19. In the Gospel according to Luke, the angel Gabriel thus addressed Mary, the mother of our Lord. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We read that in Luke 1, verse 35. Likewise, in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In all these places, we are fully taught that there are three persons in one only divine essence although this doctrine far surpasses all human understanding nevertheless in this life we believe it on the ground of the Word of God and we expect to enjoy its perfect knowledge and fruit hereafter in heaven moreover we must observe the distinct offices and works of these three persons towards us the father is called our creator by his power the Son is our Savior and Redeemer by His blood. The Holy Spirit is our sanctifier by His dwelling in our hearts. The doctrine of the Holy Trinity has always been maintained and preserved in the true Church since the time of the Apostles to this very day over against Jews and Muslims and against false Christians and heretics such as Marcion, Manny, Praxius, Sibelius, Paul of Samosata, Arius, and such like, who have been justly condemned by the Orthodox fathers. In this doctrine, therefore, we willingly receive the three creeds of the apostles of Nicaea and of Athanasius, likewise that which in accordance with them is agreed upon by the earthly fathers." beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ there are religious holy books that talk about many gods in the heavens and there are religious holy books that claim that there is just one God who is very powerful but no holy books besides the Bible Teach that there is one God who exists in three distinct, unmixed persons who are all equally divine in essence, love, and power. And this is because no human could come up with the district, this description of this amazing truth that only God can reveal about himself. It simply just goes beyond our rational explanation. Faith in the Trinity is what distinguishes Christians from Muslims Jews and any other religion in the world faith in the precise scriptural revelation of God's unity in Trinity and Trinity in unity is what distinguishes Christians from many ancient and modern heresies and to illustrate my point just think what would change in your lives if i as your pastor and preacher here never mentioned the, the father son and holy spirit ever in my sermons or my pastoral work would you as a member of this congregation lose anything well, let's just think about it a bit if i had simply baptized samuel this morning in the name of god or the father as he is revealed in the old testament and refuse to recognize that the promised Messiah is Jesus Christ, well it would be a very similar teaching to the Jews. As members of Christ Church we would lose the entire teaching of the New Testament where the Son of God is revealed. Or imagine if I had followed the teaching of one of the men mentioned in Article 9 named Marcion. What if I had gone in the other direction believing that Jesus with his visionary body was God's Son who took the place of the cruel and angry God of the Old Testament. And so I would be preaching Jesus and love without God as Creator and Father. We would lose the Old Testament. We would lose God as Father. We would even lose the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. If the ancient Manny, who was also mentioned in that Article 9, if Manny had had been here and and he had baptized our children, he may have told the parents that although this little child is is beginning his or her life on the side of, of the good God, they need to be very afraid because there is a second evil God described in the pagan religions who is equally powerful and will be doing his utmost to destroy that child and we don't know how it will end It might be the good God it might be the evil God If in any way we reject a part of what the scriptures teach about the Trinity or add in any any ideas or pagan ideas our children would not learn about the goodness of God his holiness and his justice it would never be instructed in the comfort of the one true God's sovereignty and his gracious saving and restoring work. These reasons alone highlight why it is important for us to, to put our minds to the question of the Trinity, to understand what the Bible teaches about this teaching. In order to hallow the name of God that he has placed upon our lips, in order to walk around and say, yeah, we're, we're Christians, we need to also understand what that name means, not to have it as something just hollow on our lips. We need to have a more than a vague idea about a God who is out there, but, but take hold of everything that he has said about himself and say, yes, that's the God I belong to. So we can live our lives as members baptized into the name of God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And I preach you the gospel of the triune majesty of God under this theme. The scriptures reveal one holy God who exists in three distinct persons. We'll see that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit manifest the full majesty of the one holy God. And in the second place, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit manifest the full love of the one holy God. Well, most of us know what it means to be misunderstood. People who put us in a, in a limited category because of the color of our skin or our gender or our occupation, they blind themselves to the big picture. By picking one aspect of of who we are, like just picking your job for instance, they miss out on the other aspects of who we are such as our family, our expectations, our health, our feelings, our history, our desires. A teenager might do this with a boyfriend or or girlfriend and be so focused on their physical appearance and their touch that they fail to consider their faith, their family, and their fears. People often do this with the church as well, picking and choosing characteristics of a local congregation that they use to justify their love or their criticism of a particular congregation, but fail to investigate further and and consider the whole picture. In the same way, people who don't read the entire scriptures often separate and divide the different attributes of God. They divide his justice from his mercy, or his holiness from his love, or his sovereignty from his relationship. And if we lose sight of the full picture, we make it impossible for ourselves to know another person, a church, and even God himself. And so when we look to the scriptures, we need to look at the whole picture, and not to interpret what we read, one part of what we read into our own little categories. And we can see many examples of that. As, as the, we read the scriptures, we read, it says there's one God. Well, as humans, you read that just in itself, and what do you think? Well, you immediately think that this has to mean that there is one defined being or entity that could be illustrated with, with a circle, that circle defines what is God and what is not God. Everything in the circle, we could say, if we're using this illustration, everything in the circle is God. Everything outside the circle is not God. And following this reason, reasoning, and, and not the holy scriptures, different monotheistic religions, thats religions with, that claim there's just one God, like the Jews, Judaism and Islam, They teach and claim that Christians say they believe in one God, but actually believe in more than one God. They they can't go beyond that picture of of the circle. They say if you want to insist that the Son and Holy Spirit are are true God, then you simply have to accept that you worship three gods. There, There has to be three circles. There's no other way to explain it. And following human laws and human explanations, we can see what they are trying to say. To our return to, return to our circles, if there are other defined beings forming a whole that is equal to God in divine essence from all eternity, then in order to fit into our human reasoning, we need to imagine a second and a third identical circle. And sadly, we see that human reasoning only allows us to see a part of the picture, a part of who God is. Well, some false teachers in the early church were embarrassed about this enough to see that this incomprehensibility to the human mind, of God being one but three persons, they, they reacted by saying, you're right. You're right. They they taught there's only one God. That circle from all eternity. There can be no exact copies of that circle. And their solution that was since adopted and defended by Jehovah's Witnesses who may someday come knocking on your door, their solution was simply to pick one of the divine persons as the origin, as the most important one, and then place the Son and the Spirit underneath him. If God is the fountain, then then the Son is the water spraying out from that fountain. A man named Arius, also mentioned in our confession, said that the Son and the Holy Spirit are exalted and, and powerful and perhaps even resembling God, but they are not equal to God. And then Paul of Samosata, another one in the same category, he said that that Jesus was born as a man, albeit miraculously, but then he was lifted up to a higher position as he became increasingly divine throughout his life until he was adopted as God's perfect son. Now sometimes when we live our life, we do our work, we come to our church, we hear the teaching, we go to catechism, we we don't see this. But if you go out and you go around and you talk and you study, all over the world, these teachings that place the sun as a not-God under the one true God, they're all over the world. They have names, big names. I can use them, but I won't. Such solutions are understandable. We want to understand. And, and we understand why, why people want to try to have an answer to our mathematical mind. But they do not reflect the truth of the scriptures, which Jesus taught and proved that he was God himself. And the Holy Spirit himself is, is called God himself. For example, in Acts 5, if you compare verse 3 to verse 4. You see, the gospel is that God alone is able to save. No creature can satisfy his justice. Now, although our minds are are going in circles, the picture helps us to understand that based merely on what we know about science and possibilities, three identical circles cannot be transposed or one laid on top of the, the other exactly while at the same time maintaining distinctions between those circles. According to human logic, the moment you say there is a distinction, you remove that circle from the category being exactly the same. It's a vicious circle. However, rather than just accept that God is beyond our words and explanation, rather than just continue saying, God is one, and he is distinguished in three persons. Many other solutions have been pursued in history. It's important to understand these solutions so that we understand that we can explain it with our own ideas. Some of the men listed in Article 9, Praxius, Sibelius, Paul of Samosata, they thought, we know, we, we, we got the solution. Let's just see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as parts of the whole God. Like the three stripes on a beach ball, or like water in its three forms, gas, liquid, and solid. Or like the animal that that falls into the category of frog and yet is seen as egg, tadpole, and full-grown amphibian. Or like a man. He's a man, but he has different responsibilities. He's, he can be a husband, he can be a father, he can be a son. And that's what Paul of Samosata taught. He taught that the three persons were like three characteristics of the one God. Praxius taught that the one true God manifested himself to us in different modes, different forms, one after the other. So he said, well, what happened is the Father became, or he morphed into the Son, as if he were like a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. And then Sibelius, he taught that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are just three faces, so that for a while, the the people of God saw the Father face, but then the Father face turned to the background, and then they saw the Son face, And then today, what face are we seeing? Well, we're in the age of the Spirit, so now it's the Holy Spirit face that is looking upon the church. And you can see that today many of the charismatic churches are inclined to follow this. Today is the age of the Spirit. God is the Spirit alone. But whether you illustrate these seemingly attractive explanations with three interlocking circles or a morphing creature or a person with different responsibilities, the solutions all fail. For they end up intermixing the persons without distinguishing them sufficiently as the scriptures teach. If these explanations were true, the words that we read that our Lord Jesus spoke in John 5, in John 15, they no longer make very much sense. How can he talk about a father and going to the father and being the son and sending the spirit? It, it doesn't make any, any sense. Scriptural teaching concerning the, 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 the giving of his own life to satisfy God's justice. It becomes all mixed up. Our understanding that the Son is standing before the Father, continually interceding for us, it becomes all skewed. And ultimately, you would have to conclude that the eternal God and Father died on the cross. Rationalistic, human reasoning, attempts to to combine it all so it makes sense for us. It all leaves us with conclusions that go against the scriptures. You may understand God according to those explanations, but to do that we have to reject the scriptures that God gave us so that we could understand him. And so the best thing for a Christian to do is to repeat and believe God's word or revelation that he gave to us just say what he said again And if it looks like it's a contradiction understand that it's a part of of the fullness of who he is in article nine of the belgic confession article eight of the belgic confession they do that so very well i won't repeat what we just read together except to to give the children a, a real clear picture that they can remember if anybody says what's this trinity all about. You can say, let me tell you two things that I read in scripture. And the first thing I want to tell you is about the day when God gave the law to the people of Israel. There was one God. There was no form. He was there. he, He was in all his majestic holiness. He was reaching down to sinful man to reveal That new life is possible with Him. There's one God with a promise of love and salvation. Remember that, the giving of the law, one God. And the second picture, to help you, if anybody says, What's this Trinity about? say there's two pictures God giving the law and Jesus Christ being baptized. That's a very clear picture to remember. You can say it's in the Bible. When Jesus was baptized. The Father was in heaven speaking. The Son was in the water being baptized. And the Holy Spirit was descending upon Him. And that's the same God who gave the law and the promise in the Old Testament. And the Athanasian Creed explains they're all equally uncreate. Or uncreate. I never know how to pronounce that word. They're all equally infinite, they're all equally eternal and yet at the same time they are distinguished one from the other. The Son always begotten the Holy Spirit always proceeding it's those two pictures. The giving of the law and the baptism. Bearing the divine majestic weight of the one holy God The Father is the preeminent one in in being the cause and the origin and the beginning of all things visible and invisible. God the Son is the preeminent one in being the Word, the wisdom and the image of the Father. God the Holy Spirit is the preeminent one in being the eternal power and might. He's, He's proceeding from the Father and the Son. And then we ask this God that we can't even put words to. Why did, why did he show this all to us? Why do you think? When I hear it I see the majesty of the God I worship. You see that he is not ima- a God of my imagination. He's a God who revealed himself to us. And he revealed himself to us because he loves us. The Trinity displays a harmonious cooper- cooperation that is focused on the well being and the salvation of lost sinners. That's the gospel we believe, it's the gospel we proclaim. You see, all this isn't just something to memorize, it's something we experience and understand. It's something we would lose if it was no longer taught and proclaimed. We see the full love of the one holy God. You see that these three, the work of the three distinct persons, they, they, they match the needs of all God's creatures, especially after the fall into sin. We experience the, the benefits of the character of our amazing an incomprehensible, majestic, holy God in a very real way. God in Trinity, in Trinity, in unity, equal in truth and, and revelation, and power and goodness and mercy. I call him my God. We can call him our God. The one God who exists in three distinguished and unmixed persons. He is the one who is reaching down to us in order to restore us, to save us from eternal punishment, and to bring us into eternal fellowship with him. The promises given to our children in baptism are overwhelming, overwhelming in their majestic glory and their love and their attention to our needs. If you've ever had the opportunity to present a child to be baptized, but even witnessing, it's an overwhelming understanding that a God of that majestic glory is reaching down and speaking to us. Although we are but mere creatures, believers are chosen by this triune God in his good pleasure and purpose so that we and our children can share in his amazing work which is revealed to us personally from the foundation of the world. The Holy Scriptures direct us to this second form of testimony and it's referred to also in Article 9. We know this from the testimonies of Holy Scripture and from the respective works of the three persons and especially those we perceive in ourselves. And you see the beauty of creation, you say, that's my God, that's God the Father, my creator, working with the Son and the Holy Spirit who's hovering over the waters with him and all these things. When you hear the preaching of the gospel of salvation, you can know that the Son of God himself took on human flesh just like you have to be your substitute, to make atonement for you by dying on the cross with God, the Holy Spirit, leading him in this ministry and the Father raising him up. You think of the Holy Spirit, you see the transformation in your heart. This isn't something external and superficial. This is the work of that majestic Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's an amazing comfort. That's Far exceeds any comfort that even the biggest imagination of a human being could ever produce. What God can be compared to ours? Who can be fully one and distinctly three persons at the same time so that we never need to doubt His mercy in His justice or His grace in His holiness? That's the difference between the Christian faith and and so many others, like Muslims and other religions, that heresy of Marcion. What God is, is like ours, who who comes to take on our human flesh so that he might die for us and in our place without ever for one moment ceasing to be good and divine and holy and sovereign. What God is like ours, who is so completely sovereign, that we never need to fear as if, as if the, the power of, that, of another evil god might, might win. That's actually the theme of, of most of the films that you watch. That big battle between evil and good and you watch it because maybe evil will win this time. That's all mani. That's mani, mani, Manichaeanism. It's very prevalent in Christian circles around the world as well. When someone dies, they say, I guess the evil God won. We don't have that. We don't have that teaching. The Christian church knows there's one sovereign, holy God, three persons in one. What God can be compared to our God, who is at the same time the creator, the origin of of all things, eternal and sovereign on his throne, and at the same time, interceding before before the father on our behalf and dwelling right within our own hearts all at the same time all for our salvation all because he loves us all because he wants us to love him and walk with him the gospel of salvation is that this Triune God delights to live in a relationship with creatures He made to glorify him, not only today, but forever. And when you see and hear that description, scriptural description of our God, you get a sense of the reality of eternity. With him, it's not so surprising. With him, the incomprehensible is real. Well, how can a person preach all the riches of this God in a lifetime? So many themes of his fullness, of his love, of his, of his indwelling, of the relationships. And so we confess very clearly as church of Jesus Christ that we believe what the scriptures teach. And as it's summarized in the creeds, the apostles, the Nicaea and Athanasian, we can read that, we can study that by His grace, we may be immersed in the fullness of the glory of the one true God. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. In Jesus Christ, you are a part of that amazing work. Of that amazing God. He worked through the ages. And today also, you can experience the comfort of His love. Like His character, His love surpasses our understanding. His love changes our hearts. And so every time when we leave a worship service so we don't forget, He places the Trinitarian blessing upon our heads. We walk out as Christians who worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As I think the display text this afternoon, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Notice the, the nouns grace, love, fellowship. That's the emphasis of the blessing. It's about that relationship with the triune God. And He gives us those promises on the day of our baptism, and He allows us to experience them throughout our life. The Bible tells us also that the partial will be replaced with the perfect. And so we have all eternity to seek his face. As we also ended this morning about seeing God, we can end again this afternoon. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Though now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. That's a statement of faith. Faith in the triune God, may you live each day with that faith central in your mind and your hearts. Amen.